Hey everybody, welcome back to the Harmful Habits Podcast. This episode will be about talking about race with our children. And without further ado, Elevation Beats. everybody <laughs> so this is episode three four episode four mm-hmm. of season three season four yep oh episode four mm-hmm. <laughs> season four episode four episode four and um we are going to be talking about how to talk to children about race yeah oh are we going to be super condescending like how people typically talk to children kids get it together so i mean you got any dad jokes i hope not i do not i mean we have to come with a dad joke each I, time i think i've done that once <laughs> i you, thought it was the first time to surprise jamisa and then the mm. second time you'd think i would have learned and then the third time i definitely should have learned but so uh, uh, don't worry ben has plenty <laughs> please share i uh developed an addiction to beatles albums and now I need help. I used to be addicted to the hokey pokey, but I turned myself around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, we, we got likes on TikTok. For oh, that one. God. <laughs> please don't encourage those yeah. people. So those of you listening to TikTok, as we get started, please feel free to share with your friends. Um, season four, episode, episode four, four of the Humble Habits podcast. Today's episode talking with your children about race so jamisa i think for this episode we're going to divide it up a little bit right we're going to be talking about if you have white children if you have non-white children and some of the differences in the approaches that we might use in talking with both sets Mm -hmm. all right so um we're also going to be talking about the three trees of change as we always do so that would be feeling grounded Yep. Seeing clearly and, and thinking, act, or sorry, acting skillfully. Acting skillfully. Mm-hmm. And how it all starts with feeling grounded. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we start talking about talking with children about race, the first question to really ask is how grounded does the individual feel even having conversations about race? Right. Just not even about with your kids and race, but just about race. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I don't, and I think people will automatically, if someone's listening, and now I'm and not to slurp here. Let me know if I slurped at all. Oh, I think we just lost a few listeners. Hell yeah! <laughs> I'm about to walk out the room. That is ridiculous. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, at the end, if the immediate answer is yes, then I think you need to go back and ask yourself again. Do you feel grounded when having conversations? But I don't think people even know what it feels like to feel ungrounded. And so to feel, huh? about these conversations, like I think a lot of people don't even know that they're not grounded. Oh, okay. When it comes to talking about race. Okay. So maybe an example I would use is like, hey, Amin, give me your history of STDs. And that, <laughs> that panic you feel, that is a lack of groundedness. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of people feel that same level well, of panic. Well, it's just that out right? Because you just don't know. You're going into something very uh, that you may not have a lot of information about. You're talking about it means STDs? That too. STIs. Sorry, STIs these days. Sorry. Thank you, Amin. You're welcome. Um. <laughs> Anyways. But I think we all need to ask ourselves that, right? And so... What, STIs that we had? Sure. <laughs> But also, if someone is coming and if someone's asking me, you know, about having a conversation about another minority group and I need to be able to ask myself, am I emotionally grounded? So it's not just non, not just white people or European Americans. I think we all have to ask ourselves those questions because I would then I can't go in and be like, yeah, I confidently can have a conversation about, you know, another minority group when I know that I won't be able to do that in a way that's going to be that thinking that I know everything I need to know. So what's your level of groundedness talking about race in general? I, I feel pretty grounded. You feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. I mean, how about you? I think so. Hmm. I had some doubt. I might learn some things about myself this episode, so I'm curious. Because it sounds like you said it's not very clear when people start feeling ungrounded here. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to go back to that metaphor that we often use about a fish in water, right? Mm-hmm. And so the story is a fish is swimming around, enjoying its day. And another fish comes along and is like, man, isn't the water lovely today? And the other fish wonders, I wonder what water is. It sounds delightful. And so a lot of us are like that fish in water. Like we don't know what our environment is. We don't know how it shaped us right. to the point where we don't recognize water when we see it. And so we talked about for a lot of European American families, they don't have to have these conversations because they don't necessarily have to be aware of race in the same way that non-European Americans would have to be. Right. And so let's even talk about our own childhoods. Like, how did the two of you learn about race? Was it from direct experience, from just being out there in the world and people kind of shoving it upon you in terms of European Americans letting you know you weren't European American and therefore weren't entitled to the same um, kind of access? Or Mm. was it through education at home? I I would say at my house, it was, I don't think it was, direct education at home um, growing up, but it was the environments that I was placed into. So I grew up um, in terms of educational pur- like uh, purposes, like my mom bussed me across town. So my initial ex- the experience I can always remember is like being in pre-K and kindergarten, kindergarten, I think up until like the fourth grade in private school. But all the private schools I went to were predominantly white. On the other side of town. Well, I didn't know these were private schools. I thought she was just busting you across town to to a white. This was a private school up until the third grade. That explains the bouginess. <laughs> <laughs> that explains. I'm just learning oh, so much my about my goodness. wife right now. And then third I grade, I told you, you I went to private school. Shock, right? No, in third grade, I went from private school to another predominantly white. Uh, um, uh, elementary school up until middle school and then I started going to school in the neighborhood that I lived in. So it was in middle school that the yeah. culture shock happened. That's yeah. a rough time to, to make that shift. Yeah. How was but that? That was fine but that's another I mean That's another episode. That's another episode. Uh, but I think Jimmy's I started learning Tales Volume 1. I think I started learning about how different I was I think when it became like a realization of myself like I think it may be 5k and understanding, like, all the people around me, like, their hair was different. They dress different. Um, when they talk about their home experiences, they're very different from mine. Vacationing. We didn't vacation. We went to Myrtle Beach. That was our vacation. 
What about you, I mean? Yeah, just experiences at school, I think. And for people who don't listen to the show regularly, you want to give some background to you, to your own cultural That's background? That's right, because you're not yeah. on camera. Ah, true, true, true. So, Are you trying to say the only way to understand Amin's <laughs> cultural background no, is a, by oh seeing him? Oh, my wow. God. And I mean, whatever. We are not going to deal with this kind of prejudice on the this show. Of you. Jim, so. <laughs> whatever. Go ahead, Amin. Amin, I didn't I, know you were in such a toxic work environment. <sighs> yeah, it's crazy. HR. Where's where's HR? Where's Kyle? <laughs> I can't with y'all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I am of Algerian descent. And so I'm considered an Arab American. And so I was six years old, I believe, when 9-11 happened. And well, I you think were born in America, correct? I was born in America. West yep. Virginia. West Virginia. West I'm a mountaineer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so first grade, I remember a lot of people saying a lot of things to me. And I'd go home and I'd be like, Mom, Dad. Things like, good morning, I mean. No, things like, hey, Osama. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Uh, and I'd so go I think home. that detail would help because when you say people said a lot of things to me, unless you come from that background, you're not going to know. So what, share some details about that. Yeah. If you're I comfortable. Mean, I learned what terrorism was because I was called one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Starting about what age? First grade. Yeah, okay. first grade. And I'd go home and I'd ask my parents what these words meant. And so I'd ask them, uh, you know, Am I not American? You know, all these kinds of things, because I had no concept of that at all. Mm -hmm. And they'd go home and all they would tell me is, you're just as American as everyone else. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't really elaborate anything more. And uh, that was about it. uh, They wouldn't kind of explain why people may be saying that and... They wanted me to act as if it wasn't a thing uh, okay. and to kind of just ignore it. And they're just people that are trying to hurt you, but everyone's going to be trying to hurt you at some point. And so you just have to have a high level of, you know, not caring, I guess. Resilience. What say. Mm-hmm. Was, was your parents take on it kind of like everyone has some acts to grind. And so this is going to be what people attack you with. Yep. Like, because uh, okay. I remember... So I was in first grade, so obviously my thinking processes weren't amazing, but I was like, let's move to Rhode Island. There's not a lot of people there. It's the tiny state, whatever. Let's just move there. I'm tired of like all these jokes or whatever. And my parents would be like, you don't think people will make fun of you in Rhode Island? And you don't think people, if we went back to Algeria, people won't make fun of you there? Mm -hmm. And so they were like, it's going to happen. And right now the kids are just choosing to pick at this one thing. Okay. What was your experience growing up in your little village? Oh, it was very, very <laughs> challenging indeed. Being there were a, no, I said there were no minorities here. Being a young Caucasian, surrounded by other young Caucasians, we had to find other things to make fun of each other for. Hmm. Um, but no, uh, race wasn't talked about at all in your home. Mm-mm. Or just in people around your in your village. <laughs> it is a village. Like I don't know any other way to it's call first it that. Of all. It. You have not visited this village. So I think we need to get that out the okay, way. Okay, but you are also you referencing so, it as a village. Yeah, it's a village. But I think okay. when the word village comes up, you have so many preconceptions. Like, remember when you found out how rough my secondary school was? And you were like, that's not what I picked. And I'm like, I know, because you've never inquired. I, know. I think when I think of village, I'm thinking about some super small town, like in some the state that we live town in. No, no, I'm where not. Everyone gathers for a cup of tea and a cricket game. No, I don't think that. Which actually, those things are true. But <laughs> pitchforks. Um, but no, uh, so we had very few, and in England it's different. So we have a lot of um, like immigration from India, from Pakistan, mm-hmm. from places like that. Um, obviously, um, we participated in the slave trade. Um, so we have a lot of descendants from that too. Um, and the same level of racism exists in England. The same uh, level of prejudice exists. Sure. And it just may be, 
through slightly different systems. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was just referencing that uh, going back to like, but the town you lived in was was predominantly. So the high school I went to, or secondary school, as we call it there, you go there from like ages 12 through 16, 11 through 16, something like that. And um, it was like a sprinkling. And mm-hmm. then that was the same as when I came to America. True. And um, I could probably count the number of non-white students we had at our high school in America. In the States, yeah. So like we were talking about earlier, there was no need to ever talk about race because it never impacted us. Mm-hmm. And this is the issue that a lot of European Americans have, right? is like they don't want to have these discussions, have these conversations, because they're not the ones losing out from the lack of knowledge. Say, yeah, it doesn't, it, it's not going to, well, a lot of people don't have a lot of conversations, right, if it doesn't impact mm-hmm. them outside of race. They just don't, it didn't even come across their radar as something to talk about. But beyond that, the kids that were making fun of Amin weren't losing anything through making fun of Amin. Right. Mm-hmm. So their parents not addressing this mm-hmm. didn't cost their kids anything. Mm-hmm. Amin was the one who paid the price, and therefore his family had to have the conversations about it. Right. And I think that's why you and I, when we talked about this episode a little bit, um, as I talked to you in between your glasses of wine and tried to catch you in a few sober moments, um, really hit on, we have to do this two different ways. Like, giving advice towards European-American parents and how they might talk to their kids, and then giving advice to um, parents of non-white kids. Right. The other thing we talked about is I recently went back to the town where I went to high school. I was hanging out with a couple of old high school friends, and they were talking about this. Like, their questions about race and things were almost bizarre to me mm-hmm. um, because of, like, um, the different cultures I spend time with. And so the level of questioning was was kind of interesting. Like, really? We're, we're asking these kind of very, like, one-on-one but, type and questions I, and about race. And they, they openly said, like, we don't hang out with anyone who doesn't look like us. But also in the town that your high school friends that you all grew up in as, as um, high schoolers or late teenagers is that within that town, it is – there's just a sprinkling. Oh, wait. Someone had a question about my college dating. How did you fall in love with a beautiful black woman when growing up in a predominantly white area? Oh, maybe they meant my marriage. Oh, <laughs> interesting, interesting. <laughs> All right. So, um, in so I think the question is about in general, like how did I become aware of other cultures? Yeah, because in high school, the colleges that you attended, they were predominantly. But in college, I very much was integrated in the, in the international community. Mm-hmm. And I think Amin can talk about some about that. Like, so then you're interacting with people from all over the world, mm-hmm. and so I worked within the international Sorry. college. Um, and that's when I started having more interactions um, with people from different cultures. Yeah. And kind of got my mind blown. So in college, hung out with a lot of Asian students, a lot of Middle Eastern um, students, and um, a lot of black students. Mm-hmm. Which, even within that school, were a minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right. And I think the reason I started doing that, too, is because coming from England, I always had this sense of, like, there's more than one reality. Mm-hmm. And all the European Americans I met were so focused on there being, like, one truth. Mm-hmm. And um, meeting international students was really refreshing for me in that sense. Like, oh, here's some other people who feel the same. Um, and so that that was really interesting to me. But I want to go back about with your college friends who live in the same town. High uh, school friends. Uh, high school friends, sorry. Who live in the same town or within the same area that you lived in. It is, you know, I really am all, I'm blown away, I think, when I go there because it is so, like, 
well, I don't know what the other word to say. Like, like if I lose Jimmy and the kids, it doesn't take me long to find no. them. No, <laughs> I mean it. It, I'm shocked. I really am. Like every time I go there, I'm just I really am blown away by the lack of minority uh, representation within mm-hmm. this town. Like I, I, I can go into India. I can go to like four stores back to back and I will not see a minority person. And I think if you're in big grow, stores, I think if you're growing up in that as a kid, you don't realize how white it is. And I think you and I are very aware, like when we go into very white spaces. But you know what? I, I take it back what I was saying, because a lot of people in South Carolina still aren't aware. Like their whole friend group will be like. Oh, that's true. But I was saying about the communities and not so much the group, but the community within itself. Like they you're not going to you know, I'm not going to run into a Target, then run to the post office and then run to the grocery store and not see a minority mm-hmm. person. Where so that is that not even more the case. Shocking, though? Huh? Isn't that even more shocking then that in South Carolina, people still... Oh, absolutely. I agree 100% with you. It is even more shocking because, like, you have... People have exposed... Like, you have an opportunity in a workplace, um, your kid's soccer game, all these different places to interact with min- with uh, with minorities. I agree with you wholeheartedly. All right. So, let's... So, the point of this whole thing was talking with kids about this, Right. Right. Um, I somehow shrunk that. We are effing up all the te- technical stuff. Can you enlarge it? Sure. Go ahead. Keep I'm going. not very familiar with iPhones. Um, and so let's start with some of the basics. We talked about if you don't have a basic comfort level yourself with this stuff, mm-hmm. you are going to struggle to talk to your children about it. Right. And so I would say as a parent of European-American kids, um, I don't have European-American <laughs> kids, but if you're a parent of European-American kids, the before you start talking with your kids about this, I would recommend integrating people from different backgrounds into your social culture. Right. Because I think the best conversations with kids are when they initiate them. Mm-hmm. And so when your kids ask these questions, it's an excellent opportunity to have conversations with them mm-hmm. rather than you having these conversations in a vacuum and then your kid and has then no still reference has point. no reference point. And so I think it's really important if you're going to talk with your kids about race to make sure that that doesn't happen within a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So that there's some context to those. Otherwise, it's not going to have no value to them at all. Right. And so if they have friends who are from different backgrounds, different cultures, I think that brings a whole new level of meaning to it. Absolutely. So let's say old Jimmy has made some friends from different backgrounds. And um, he's invited them to his polo club. What? What? Hey, did you see that stuff on Hobby oh Horses, my gosh. by the no, way? No, no, no. no. We're going to stick to the subject. <laughs> right. stick, stick to the topic, buddy. So old Jimmy has some friends in different backgrounds, and um, he comes home and he says, hey, how come Jerome has different color skin? Mm-hmm. Now, I think for a kid, it's a very kind of normal, natural observation, right? But I think right. a lot of parents, because of um, their inability to talk about race, start to freak out over some of these questions. Well, they don't. I think it's a stumbling because no one knows how they like, I don't know how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how would you answer it? How would you recommend to a white parent? I think you can start talking about like different people. Like there's just different hues of different colors in terms of like this person is white Are you and we're black. you the book title? I, I did steal the book cover. We'll talk about the book cover. I meant the, the book in a second. But just like there are different, like there's just different ranges and colors of people. And well, we're just all different. What do you think of the book, a kid's book about racism? Do you think it's a good place to start I for think European Americans? It's a very good book. Yes. And so those of you who are not familiar, a kid's book about series, they tackle every single issue you can think of. Literally. 
So you have <laughs> a, single a issue kid's you book about of. sex, a kid's book about autism. A kid's, book, a kid's about book about finances. And transgender yeah. and everything. A so kid's th- book about your bosses uh, disclosing your STIs in a podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, they yeah, probably have that. I think there's a book about that. <laughs> well, that'd be a strange topic for children, but sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the kid's book series is a great way of just sparking conversation. Because mm-hmm. I think even as you read through the book, your kid's going to have questions. Yeah, and it's such a good, it's, a, it's just an easy way. I think parents... You know, this is my thought. Obviously, I am not European American, so I wouldn't know this. But like, I feel like they get into this. They don't want their kids to feel. I went to private school. Went. They don't want their kids to feel bad about like racism, and you know, because you know, I think it's like the whole. I feel like that's what becomes this whole thing. They don't want their kids to feel bad. But I love the, the book about racism because they talk about like just exactly what I said, like the varying colors that we have and how people use that as a way to oppress other people. And I thought that they just did a really good way of explaining that. And so start finding these books. Mm -hmm. If your own community doesn't have people of color, if your children are unable to kind of engage with people of color, if you have not included, I mean, you want to open the blinds a little bit? Yeah. We got a little darkness over here. Um, If, if you don't have people integrated, then your only really access is going to be through media. Yeah. Things like books, TV shows. But then, which is a terrible depiction of race, right? Because it's just these books. awful. No, media, media and TV sometimes. Like they, mm-hmm. off, they don't always give a true depiction. within the media, though. Like, oh, okay. Just in terms of just different types of resources. Mm-hmm. And you have some, like, I think um, Sesame Street's handled a lot of these yeah, issues yeah, really well. Course. I think there's some great children's shows. Mm-hmm. I think you're talking about, like, reality TV and right. stuff. Right, yeah. Which I'm hoping people aren't having that. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't know, Ben. Um, so I think that's a great place to begin. I hope people's journey doesn't end there, mm-hmm. but I think it's an interesting place to begin. The other thing that I would have European American parents do with their European American kids is to investigate different problems. Like, mm-hmm. so for example, let's look at all these lakes that were created in the South, um, that flooded black towns and have your kids do like some research on that as right. they get older. So it, you know, it looks like in the schools they're removing a lot of this history from the schools. But let's take a look at this lake in Georgia that mm-hmm. you know was uh, covered up um, in order to wipe out this black community, and let's explore that. Now a lot the lake is filled with white families boating on top of it. So if you're one of those white families, let's have a conversation about why this lake came into being. Right. Let's have a conversation about why we can see this church steeple, you know. Um, and I mean, you talked about this. There's like 60, 70 huge lakes in the south mm-hmm. um, that cover up these hidden black towns. Or when the Tulsa massacre anniversary comes mm-hmm. around, let's have some honest, open conversations about that. Well, and I think what happens is a lot of people um, rely on the schools and rely on what is in, you know, what's in U.S. history books um, as a way to that's how their their children are taught about race. Um, and especially, and so as far as they're concerned, like they've done, the school's done a great job. Educational system has done a great job. As we know, at least the three of us know in this room, um, that that is a very watered down version of history. And it's not to go in and traumatize your kid, but like you were saying, it's like, Hey, let's go down. Sounds like they actually include these moments in history. I don't think it's watered down. I think it's absent. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think these 
episodes of history are even included. Well, I think, when, but also when they do talk about history, like uh, at like Black History Month or something, it is still a watered down version mm-hmm. of it. Is what I mean. And so it's like allowing like these depictions of slavery where they talk about. <laughs> And these black people agreed to work and they were yeah. cared for by the white. Right. Or mm-hmm. like, um, you know, 17, uh, was it 1776? And they talk about independence, but no one talks about that people, that people were still enslaved during mm-hmm. that time. And so it's, it's those things and like. What happened to the Native American communities and the right, Mexican communities. Right, and, exactly. And so that's what I mean, like allowing, like just being a bit more curious. But when your kids come and say, hey, we talked about Martin Luther King and they said that he died. And it's like, well, he didn't. That he was assassinated, but then having that conversation with your kids. And so it, it really is going a little bit deeper, diving a little bit deeper than what the schools are doing. And again, it doesn't have to be to the point of like, you think your kids can be traumatized, but like, let's be a little bit more curious about this. Let's be curious about, you know, like you said, the Native American community or the Hispanic community and what all these things mean. And so let's go back to the three trees. So you, you have to feel grounded. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel grounded, you cannot create cognitive consonants or you cannot see clearly. Mm-hmm. And so this feeling grounded, you're going to have some wild questions come up from your kids. So I remember we were talking with our son, he was like five or six at the time about um, MLK and the assassination. Mm-hmm. And someone had told our daughter um, that he died. And our daughter was like, no, he didn't die. He was killed. Mm-hmm. And our son was like, daddy, did you kill him? And so I think as a European-American, you're going to get these questions right. from your children that you have to be emotionally comfortable enough mm-hmm. to respond to. Or like when our daughter went to the plantation and she came back and called me a colonialist. Mm-hmm. And just like learning, it was funny, <laughs> but learning at the same time, are but you comfortable with that What was interesting is that though you found it funny, you would go and talk to other white people about it and they were just like they were shocked like they were short of being appalled like oh my gosh and we're just like yeah like she had she went to this plantation and saw this but you like the, the again the emotional um regulation like you saw they immediately were unregulated at that time and wanted to just move on past the conversation and so i think as a european american parent you have to let go of your sense of self a bit mm-hmm And you have to be willing to recognize just the atrocities that are being committed. Mm -hmm. If you're not ready to do that, maybe don't have these conversations. (laughs) Maybe just let your kids explore this on their own as they get older. Right. Because if you do this, you're just going to be passing on these white supremacist ideals and narratives um, that are then going to cause further harm um, to the minority community as your kids get older. So... Let's say your kids do start getting it a little older. I think that's, and you've developed this emotional regulation. You're comfortable having these conversations with your children. Um, you're comfortable integrating um, non-white people into your social group so your children get a chance to experience that. You're comfortable with your friends integrating, I mean, with your children integrating non-white friends into their social groups. And so you create these kind of multicultural um, places for your children to learn and for your children to experience things, you then really have to work on this cognitive consonance. You would then really have to work on, are we seeing this clearly? Mm-hmm. And I think that's when you as a parent start having open and honest questions with your friends who aren't European-American. Right. And you can ask questions like, what's it like growing up in America as a non-European-American? But don't do this until if, you had that emotional right. grounding. Exactly. Because if your ass starts acting defensive... And you start justifying and explaining to them why what they're saying isn't true. You're just ending up doing more harm. Well, I think in, as you talked about with schools, like what does it mean? You know, even asking your kids, you know, um, I mean, you could have conversations about like 
about classes and their friends and their friend groups at school and what did they talk about? Because what I found interesting with our um, with our our daughter is that there are so many conversations that come up. Um, I don't know how, but like about politics or they may talk about, you know, um, you know, we'll ask about her friends and she talks about like this person is like, you know, a brown skin person versus a person who's white and like learning and understanding about their friend groups and the dynamics that they're that, um, I guess that the dynamics of the friend group and like how they interact with each other. And if you're just tuning in, we are on episode four of season four. Uh, season four is a uh, season-long discussion on race. And today's episode is talking to children about race. If you're wondering why it's so dark, it is because the power has gone out. But we are resilient, and we uh, found some ways to figure out the recording machine without them. And so we're moving forward. But yeah, forgive the uh, lack of light quality, please. Yeah, I, I think um, it's so funny. We So our son is, I think, beginning to maybe have a bit more identity or become more aware maybe of his um, his differences, right? In terms of color and, you know, skin color, yeah. hair. Um, and we were talking, was it about the police? And we we're just having, I don't have no idea about the conversation about the police. And we don't talk about like, I don't, maybe we have these things around him and we just thought he wasn't paying attention, but like he will talk about like, he should not, that he should be concerned about being about the police and about, or about his dad, you know, like, well, the police that are white, we, you know, we should be concerned about them. And it's just such an interesting thing that you have this kid that's that young that can start to see the difference. But I think people listening, European Americans listening are going to say, oh, Jamisa and Ben have groomed him that way. And so he's developed mm -hmm. this fear of the police. And I think this is something that European-American parents don't understand, that that's not an opportunity that non-European-American parents really have. Yeah, we have to have those conversations. Like we have to be having those discussions with children who aren't European-American, because if we don't, we know from experience um, that they're much more at risk. Mm -hmm. if, if that's not something you recognize in this conversation, it's not going to be of interest to you anyway. Right. But I think that's important to state what were you taught growing up? About the police? Mm -hmm. Oh, they're not, not to be trusted. I mean, and that was just like, and it, it wasn't like my parents sat me down and was like, don't trust the police. That was just a topic of conversation in my community, in the neighborhood I grew up in. And so that was like last resort calling the police like everything I mean I remember someone stole my bike a couple times and it was easier for my stepdad to go and have a confrontation with their dad and talk it out and work it out and was like y'all better have this bike back than include the police because that was going to be so many problems for potentially us uh, that would have been a huge problem for them, you know. And so it's like you don't involve as much as you can the police in the community because we've known historically that it has not gone well for us. You know, I remember. He says, I get that, but police were doing their job and you were breaking the law. How was. Oh, I didn't break the law. I didn't steal the bike. Someone <laughs> stole the bike from my parents' house. How was Jamisa breaking the law by, by having a bike stolen yeah, from her? Yeah, my bike was stolen <laughs> twice. And but, the, the, these are the. But the, the reason I mentioned this comment is because this is what European Americans do when yeah, these someone stole our bike. Someone stole my bike from my house, but it's one of these things where. But wait, wait, let, let's, um, let, let's pause for a second because I think this is really important to highlight that whenever these topics come up with European Americans, they lack the emotional regulation to just breathe through them. Mm -hmm. And so they feel like they have to type this out and prove to you 
while your experience is off. Yeah, my bike was just chilling <laughs> on the side of the house. <laughs> but but this happens every single time, right? Mm-hmm. Because the European-American then feels defensive. Then their emotions get riled up. They move into the fight, flight, freeze. And all of a sudden, they start making these comments. Mm-hmm. Rather than, man, let me take this opportunity to learn from a non-European-American. Mm-hmm. Let me try and understand this other perspective that might be different than mine. Because I grew up where we had maybe one police officer in the town at most. And they didn't, they didn't bother you. And so my experience with the police was very different from your right. experience well, with the police. Because they, they constantly patrolled. It wasn't a situation where, you know, like you said, it was one person patrolling. Mm-hmm. The, are you talk, referring to the neighborhood in, in, the, in the U.S.? Yeah. Like, you don't see the police just, like, riding around your parents' neighborhood mm-hmm. or, like, you know, the, that just doesn't happen. But there's nothing for me to go in what... Just think about like that part of Florence mm-hmm. I live in. Like mm-hmm. I said, you know, the however many blocks or whatever it is, they you're not going to. There's a police around somewhere. There's several polices around. If someone's sitting in the parking lot, the car wash, police officers just hanging out, and you just and I can go to another part of the town that I grew up in, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But I also am aware, you know, um, like I said, growing up in the '90s and stuff like it was, they were constantly around. But as recent as Let's see, maybe seven. So like four or five years ago, I was at my mom's house. And, and granted, those, the people that saw my bike, and they we were all similar age. They've gone, they've moved on. But someone, um, some we- Hey, Electric was, Shadow, thank you for joining. It was uh, probably a few of my family members were um, at my mom's house. And it was like, it wasn't super late. Um, and my aunt left some money or something in a car. She goes to goes about to leave and she happens to check where the money was. And I think she forgot it was in there until she was like, oh, crap, I left that money in there. And someone stole and they mm-hmm. left the glove compartment open. And so we at this point now we're like, well, we're all like in our 40s and 50s and she's in her almost 70s. She's like, I got to call the police. So we call the police and you would have thought we stole the money. Mm-hmm. Like there were questions I'm like Dude, all of us are in the house like we and uh, they came in immediately with attitude and this is a house full of women mm-hmm. and we're just like yeah someone called the pole you know like someone broke so, into the car so what i want european americans to do who are listening is to rather than feel the need to explain why jamisa's experiences didn't happen or why they're not valid is to recognize how different they might be from their own experiences with the police. Yeah, so it wasn't like, like now, if you and I call the police, we have called, like someone's called the police about someone was like soliciting in our neighborhood um, maybe last year. And it was such a nice like conversation, right? That the police came out. He came in and was like, yeah, this is really hard. And it was not that. It was an immediate, like the police came in defensive. And we're not yelling at the police. He come, you know, we're standing outside waiting on him. Like, hey, someone broke into the car. In Florence, like, yeah. And it's two different neighborhoods too, right? And so you and I live in a predominantly We live in a predominantly European neighborhood. uh, Yeah, predominantly white neighborhood. And the neighborhood that I grew up in as a child, it is a predominant, it is a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and so he, that police officer in Florence, like I said, three or four years ago, like we're just standing outside talking. No one's, I mean, it's again, a way, bunch I mean, of white, old women. Twist, it was me. And he just I comes in immediately, like with such a terrible attitude. And we're having like, we're like, sir, like. We we just called you because someone broke into the car. We and like we're trying to talk him down to explain to him why we called. So going back to 
why you, if you're non-white, don't need to talk to your kids about this in the same way, it's because they're going to witness all of these experiences. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that when Amin's playing soccer at age eight and parents on the other team are using his race and ethnicity against him, and uh, you talk about them using cuss words about you and stuff, right? I was older. I was 16. That was my only okay. red card in my high school career because I started shouting back. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, right, so someone's using profanity against you. You decide to say something back, and you're the one punished. Yep. And I think that's the experience for non-whites over and over and over again. And that's why these conversations look so different mm -hmm. for white families as they do for non-white families. Mm -hmm. So if you are a European-American listening to this and you have a European-American family and this experience sounds very different from yours, all that we ask is that you recognize it's different. Mm -hmm. You don't have to figure out why. You don't have to try and come up with a narrative that makes it more, feels more safe. You don't have to solve it because you're not going to be able to solve it. You just have to recognize that these experiences are going to be very different based on where you grew up, how you grew up. All these different intersectionalities. And I think what's really important, as you saw about this, is like I think being able to talk to your kids about race and not in a way that one is inferior to the other. But like, hey, this is, you know, if someone's talking about our kid, they're like, well, yeah, you know, she got curly hair. I don't know how her mom deals with that versus like, yeah, her hair is just curly, you know, or. What about the Welsh? Obviously, everyone's superior to the Welsh. <laughs> Are we not going to have that conversation? I can't. Some British beef. <laughs> <laughs> some, some Great Britain. You know what's funny about this? I grew up like very near to the Welsh border. And so those were the jokes mm -hmm. that we all had. And I love Wales. <laughs> like, I love the countryside and I love. And so even back then, I was aware of that dissonance and yet still made jokes about the Welsh. Mm -hmm. I think that that's how powerful this stuff is. But anyway, so come back to this topic. So that's why Jamisa and I and Amina keep talking about the difference between white families having these conversations with their kids and non-whites. Mm -hmm. I think the role for white families is almost to teach our kids how to listen to this stuff without repeating these same mistakes of trying to justify, minimize, or deny that these experiences happen mm -hmm. to non-white families. Right. Like getting blamed for my bike being stolen. And I remember... Um, <laughs> and again, in TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about, yes. Goodness. I remember being in college and being with um, three black men and we were driving somewhere, driving to the bar, driving to get groceries or whatever. And we get stopped by the police. And they all got their hands like on the chair in front of them or on the glove compartment. I'm like, what y'all doing? <laughs> and they're like, man, we just got stopped. Ah, it's no big deal. Let's talk to the fellow. Let's find out what he's looking yeah, for. Yeah, you would be the person that would step out the car and be like, hey, officer, how are you doing? And, you know, we were like, what the hell? We about uh -huh. And so afterwards, you know, um, I was the one who ended up talking to the officer. And anyway, we moved on. And we ended up at a bar or something, and we were talking about this. And that's when, like, uh, many nights in college, but that realization of, like, it's such a different experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm not going to understand it, and I'm not going to mm -mm. have ever lived it, but I can listen, and yeah. I can shut up um, long enough to not say, well, that's not true. That can't mm -hmm. possibly have happened. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, um, we think about my family, which is so multicultural, right? Mm -hmm. Because... Each of my brothers is married to someone from a different country, a different color. And yet still, even within my family, there'll be discussions about this stuff. And European-American members of my family will be like, well, that can't be true. And yeah, it's and like, like you have all these people here trying to tell you these things are true. And it takes a long time for that stuff. It's sometimes, I think, as a minority, and I don't know if I mean, you feel like I have felt like this before. Maybe at times feel this way. So I was like, I have had to question myself, like, am 
I'm like, am I like in an alternate reality? Mm-hmm. Like, am I not seeing this clearly, you know, or like, I don't know, like, am I, is someone gaslighting me? I, I always feel like there have been times I'm just like, maybe I am the one that's like really overthinking this. Mm-hmm. Maybe my perception's wrong. Maybe yeah. I'm overreacting. Yeah. Maybe all these things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I definitely felt the same way. Because we find that we can interact with European American families in the area we live in. And they're very liberal, very supportive, very kind until it gets down to some of these real issues. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you see this wall go up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that doesn't happen. That right. doesn't, or why are you making such a big, big deal about race? And so it's like, it's so ingrained until you have these experiences or witness these experiences that people cannot let go of it. Yeah. And so it's interesting as we talk um, a, a very openly in our household about just race and racial relations and if things are going and on. And SDIs. Yeah, and SDIs. And so if we feel that it is, um, and so if our daughter asks us questions about things that she may have heard or something that's happened at school, um, we will, we'll, and it has something to do with race, like we will make a point to talk to her in a way that she can understand versus like, we're going to have a private conversation and not include her in it. Um, Cause I think that's really important for her, you know, at least, and I can only say that cause we are raising, you know, hey, biracial kids. It's like Eric B joined. I wonder if that's family member, <laughs> Eric, if it is welcome, Eric, if it's non family member, Eric, then you're also welcome. But having those conversations about her and not, I mean, with her and not shying away from having conversations with her about race and having her understand like welcome miss cake her you know and having her spend time with my family and asking questions about like how and why these things are different um and not just that but all of i mean the vast majority of our friends are minorities and like and she, and just understanding and spending maybe one day we'll find some european americans having have, and she spends an incredible amount there. of time with them and i think it's really good to see and I think it's good for her to have that experience and it just and it doesn't have to just be her because she her mom's a minority I think that you can have a lot of European Americans that can do the exact same thing and I think we don't even have a lot of these conversations with our kids we kind of allow on like they they come and talk to us about different things not just that um man what's with all the interrupting today I mean whatever go ahead does it always feel like she's bullying me a little bit um but like our friends who kind of act like extended aunties and uncles mm-hmm. tend to have those conversations with our kids mm-hmm. and we'll be present. But like, I'm thinking of like people like Deb and our kids will be like, why is this? Mm-hmm. And she does such a better job kind of explaining it from the outside than mm-hmm. we would as their parents. Mm-hmm. And it's sad, but our kids tend to listen a bit more mm-hmm. to them, <laughs> and to their explanations. And I think that's such an important part of all this. Right. Is that when your kids have these people that they're interacting with, uh, when your social group is much more than just white, um, then your your kids benefit so much from that openness. Absolutely. And Same thing with anything, right? Same thing with LGBTQIA. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like the more diversity your kids your kids have in their life, the more they're prepared to really interact with the whole world rather than just an isolated portion. Well, of it. and that's what I was going to say. Like that is not how the world looks. And so what you're doing is I feel like when you do have your kids isolated and like um, you, the parents stay in a particular group um, in a vacuum, if you will, of people. And then you're, the, the kids would naturally gravitate to the, the to that group. Like then they leave your home and then they go out to the world and then they are still stuck with this one group because they don't know. Um, they have there's no comfort level in them interacting with, with a minority group of people. So today, we said we're going to talk about both groups, 
And what we've kind of said is European-Americans probably need the most help here. <laughs> but <laughs> like it happens well, naturally in non-European-American uh, families. Do you think that's a helpful assumption or do you think that it's problematic? I'm going to ask the question again. Well, I wasn't going to turn it into a question, but you looked resistant to that premise, so I decided to ask. What? The idea at the start of the show was we're going to talk about helping both European-American parents learn how to talk to their kids about race, mm-hmm. but also provide guidance to non-European-Americans. Well, I think for non-European-Americans, I think it's, a, uh, I don't know, uh, I think you have to have, conver- uh, so let me go back and talk about my household growing up. Like race was never directly talked about in my household in that like this is racism and this is what it looks like and this is the history Um I just hear, heard about it in conversation. So if things, Rodney King was probably a perfect example of that, right? With And then the riots that happened right after that. And so there was a direct conversation about that. And I was scared as hell because I didn't know of those, because I've seen, again, where people were um, mistreated in our neighborhoods or people were stopped or targeted. And so you do have that fear. And I think that's probably the first time I remember my like watching my mom and, and family members have a conversation about race. However, I think that needs to be different, in my opinion, um, now where we do have a real conversation about race. And, you know, again, you know, as I referenced, like with the schools and they, you know, the their version of talking about history, um, U.S. history. Um, and I think as a parent, uh, as a mom, as a black mom, like I, I feel like it is my due diligence to have a conversation with my kids and say, like, yeah, I'm glad that they're teaching you this part, like this little bit of stuff they're teaching you at school. But then let's also have some other conversations. Let's go to a museum. You know, if we're going to Atlanta, let's go to the Martin Luther King, you know, uh, museum. If we're going to Memphis, let's go to where he was assassinated. Like, but having those very rich conversations, read and 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 I understand you can't like shove things down a kid's throat. But then let's let's get some books. Let's put some books in our in our you know library, our little bookshelf at home about race. And you mentioned current events. I'm a lot younger than you. Um, And so I remember in college. Nine months. I remember in college, it wasn't Rodney King. um, You're such an idiot because first of all, you said (laughs) in college. I can't with you. So in college, for me, it was the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, Um, yeah. yeah. And I remember spending time with black friends who were like, yeah, I think he's guilty. And I'm really excited he got off. And for me at the time, I could not. People at my college, they were appalled. Like we got so many. We were. I never forget. I was in a biology class at Carolina, and when the Rodney King verdict came out, our professor ended the class early because it was a full on like there was <laughs> so, so nothing quick. about biology that was happening that God's day. God's Lantern Number Seven has a question. What is your personal input about humanity in the world, and where we are headed? So oh, I'll, I'll come back to that question. Oh, but so when that happening in college for me, probably you were probably in grad school oh or working gosh. at the time. Um, it was so interesting because it's the first time I got some insights into how the trauma of American history affected the black community. Mm-hmm. That whether this person was guilty or innocent was irrelevant to them because of how many innocent people mm-hmm. had been within the black community had been found guilty for things that can possibly have right. done. And you know, it's interesting you talk about that because I think... You know, answer the question about humanity? Yeah, in a second. Cause, um, but I feel for our daughter, George Floyd was that for her. Um, because we, our daughter's in college. 
because yeah that happened quick because she we were all at home during COVID and this happened and there was no way we could not not have that conversation and so being able to talk with her about what happened and what that meant in the rioting but then also see you know not the rioting but like the marching and these things that happen and talk to her and then be able to look at like look how beautiful this is that you have like you know people from I don't know, Seattle, you know, going and and marching and all these different things. And and I think we went to one around here, but being able to explain that to a, at the time an eight year old. Yeah, that was so I think is I think you can always have conversations about race. Um you know, as we were talking about how do black people, how to as a uh, myself as a black person to talk to our kids about race. And I think you always incorporate just, you know, as much as you can, things that are happening in the world. So I'm going to go back to that question of humanity and I'm going to see if you agree or disagree with me, Jamisa. Like, I am so excited by this new generation. Oh, they're freaking awesome. And just how they refuse to let people get away with being inhumane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have such a willingness to be like, yeah, this is bullshit. I'm going to tell you, I say this all the time. This this young generation that's coming up now, like, they are so badass. Like, I wish, I so wish that, like, Growing up, when I was in my 20s, when I was in college, that I had that type of tenacity. Like Back they, when I was a young teenager. Like I'll have, I have some college students that come in and they be like, Jimmy, so let me tell you what happened in my class. And this professor said this. And they're like, and I told, you know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like to feel like, you know, to be able to go in and challenge a professor and say, yeah, and we're going to do this. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, they do not take any from anybody. And so. I think that now we're getting into kind of like skillful actions. Um, so once you develop emotional regulation, then you can see clearly and then you can decide which actions are skillful. And I think that's what we as the elders, because we're getting old as hell, have a responsibility to do is about as these new generations start seeing things clearly, as they want to start passing this information on, is helping them learn what approaches are skillful, but also learning from them what's mm-hmm. skillful and mm-hmm. what isn't skillful. Yeah. And they'll be telling us all the time, like, hey, let's use pronouns. And then you get all these conservatives say, we can't do that. We can't use pronouns. And these new generations say, no, this is what's skillful. Right. This is how we care for people. And then these, you know, conservatives get off on these wild tangents about it. it's not blah, 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 blah. And none of it is reflected in science or anything else. And you just recognize that their need for things to stay the same within this kind of weird power hierarchy mm-hmm. is not helping anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I love the new generation coming through. You're welcome, God's Lantern. And, um, and just l- reminding us about humanity, reminding us about skillful behavior. And I think what you can do with your kids as you're talking about race is admit your mistakes all the time. Right. And be like, hey, I told you this. I feel like that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Here's why I've changed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of like... You see this in the media. People refuse to change their mind. And we refuse to let people change their mind. And we refuse to kind of let people grow. And I think it's a really important aspect of life to allow people to grow, to allow people to change their mind. And we ask in every job interview we do at a a company I consult with, when was the last time you changed your mind and why? Mm -hmm. And we want to see people be very flexible. We want to see people be like, you know, I thought I hated lasagna. Turns out I don't. (laughs) I was at the Olive Garden the other night, tried some lasagna, and it was amazing. And I'm glad I gave it a shot. And that lets us know that these people are willing to try new things. They're willing to be curious mm-hmm. and that they're not stuck 
in these ruts of this is my life. This mm-hmm. is what makes me comfortable. What I think, um, so I am like going to go back impression, by the way? and reference the, the book. Um, I think it's Hughes. Am I right? It's Hugh of Color. I forget the author's name. She's out of Charlotte. You're going to reference books that you don't know. The I know. Title well, of. I don't. I, it's in my phone. So mm, that might be problematic. Uh, but one of the things I think the author talks about, like, and one, what I see our kids are doing on their own is that they talk about um, color. She uses race. She didn't even say race. It's like, you know, hues of color. So mm-hmm. is this person, so my daughter may be, you know, I'm like, well, you know, she may be talking about a friend. I'm like, well, how does this friend look? And she's like, well, you know, she's kind of like golden brown or she's like brown like me or mom, she may be brown like you. And so um, our son, when he talks about color, he's like, well, you he know. Says you him at the same color I mean <laughs> oh our son mm-hmm. and so he'll like you know mom is dark brown and he like my sister she's middle-ish brown I'm lighter brown and he like and dad you like you have pink skin mm-hmm. and so like that is He's how he yes that is how he sees the world and I like that because it's not like you know dad is you know and you know someone's inferior or superior to someone else like this is black versus white but like this is just a spectrum of color that we're all on and I think that's the last part of what I'd like to talk about today with each of your kids is going to be different. We've got one kid who's on the autism spectrum. Um, our other child is very kind of like socially progressive and mm-hmm. like looking for that good fight. Um, and so with each of them, it's going to be a very di- different discussion with our son. It's going to be a lot of literal conversation. Mm-hmm. He tends to be very deep about certain things. Mm-hmm. And so just really meeting that need he has for knowledge, he has to understand everything exactly. Right. And for our daughter, it's going to be just really helping her shape. Okay, you feel all this emotion. Mm-hmm. How do you work with this emotion skillfully? And so even with her, like she'll talk about race. And so I think our daughter, um, they were, uh, she made the comment that she's black. And our son was like, yeah, I'm not black. I'm like a brown color or something. I forget what the color it was that he said. Yellow 10. Yeah. And so. Kaki, he said one time. Yes. And so our daughter immediately was like, no, you're not. You are black. And, you know, we had to like slow her down and was like, no, they if he, this she, is, she said the world is going to see you as black. Yeah, and we're just like, no, like, slow down. Like, if this is what he is identifying himself as in this moment, like, just allow it to happen. But she just could not let it go. She probably, the moment he's, if he says it today, she'll challenge him on it. So, I mean, does the uh, Algerian community accept all to their ranks? Yeah, of course. We're all welcoming. <laughs> Even him, huh? Yeah. <laughs> It seems like he identifies more with you than than uh, with Jamisa or I. Interesting. But what is it like for you, too, as parents to see your kids kind of developing these personalities? Like, do you get nervous as you see your daughter becoming more socially progressive and wanting to fight the fighter? Or are you like... Nervous yes, for other people, th- perhaps? There you go. Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of people do have that nervous... My parents specifically, because I was kind of mm-hmm. on that social progressive side. And I because they to- saw so many people get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I went to every protest I could in high school and college, and they hated every time I did. Mm-hmm. And they were like, it's not that we disagree, but do you not see what they do to those people? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, but if everyone thinks like that, there's going to be no one at these protests. And they probably mm-hmm. have fears for you about how it might follow you, how it might get mm-hmm. you banned from college and things like that. So where are you guys kind of as you see this? I think I um about her doing that. And I love the fact that she like she is about... um. If, if we would allow her to go to a protest somewhere at, you know, nine years old, like she would do it mm. in a heartbeat. Um, Can I say she's about that life? I think she, 
yeah, but you know, and and the thing is, if she wants to make an argument, I think this is one of the things that we are working with her just as a skill in general about how then does she have a debate with someone? How does she disagree with someone and do it even with us and do it in a way that's skillful, um, so that when she does get into the classroom and someone is saying something or a teacher says something that she doesn't agree with, being able to do that in a skillful way, being able to challenge and push back in a, in a very skillful way versus like, no, you're wrong. And then that's it. But how, what are the points? And so that's one of the things we talked to her about. And I think um, it's just like, if you're going to argue a point, have good three points. Like what, what's, what's going to be your argument about this? I think our fear comes more around um, our son being on the autism spectrum, needing information a certain way, wanting the world to be literal, not learning how to interact with power figures mm-hmm. that, for his own safety. Because he, he doesn't. Like he so sees if he got everyone. stopped by the police, he's going to question everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably where our fear lies. Because we see that now. Like, it doesn't matter. He can be at the dentist's office and he'll be like, uh-uh. Like, you're going to explain to me what this is and why you're putting this in what my mouth. What is the name of this tool? Yes. What is the name of what, that tool? What does it do? And then it's like, okay, now I'll let you, you know, put this in my mouth. So imagine him, if, and he's going to have that same, it's very much like his dad over here, but being able to... Um, you think he's that good looking? <gasps> oh, the lights came back on. <laughs> Oh, looky there. Uh, but being able to, again, teach him how to navigate that mm-hmm. in a way that's going to be skillful. And I think it would take way more work for him to do and than it is going to be for our daughter. So red, yellow, green. Red is not having these conversations or having them through this very biased lens and not teaching your kids how to really observe and learn from the world, not teaching them how to regulate their emotions, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yellow is just doing that a little bit. And green is really teaching kids how to regulate their emotions so they can stay grounded, how they can learn to see clearly by having lots of different experiences, asking lots of questions and really learning to listen well, and then take all that information into skillfully changing the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. I won't disagree with you today. Any final thoughts, Amin? No, I think that's a good wrap up. I appreciate you guys sharing your own experience, too. Yeah, and we can't wait too long because Jamisa has not had anything to drink today and it's already getting close to oh 1 o'clock. Oh my gosh. Okay, so first of all, you say these things without a smile, without a change in your tone. <laughs> and I think you're going to walk away as people have walked away thinking that Amin actually went to Trump University, that people are going to Did now go believe. To See, and people are going to believe that I like, have some drinking problem. I'm going to be sending you letter. I mean, sending you um, information about some inpatient place out in Arizona, someplace I need to go <laughs> to. Sending a mean STI yeah. medication. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? So many things. You know, it's so crazy. One of our friends listened to the last episode and they're like, Jamisa, they're like, I can understand about um, me. Like, what did you tell, what did you put on the last you said something about me drinking wine and I had to push the cork through <laughs> the wine bottle. And like, that is what they came and talked to me about. Mm-hmm. Like, what is wrong with you? But they shared with you their own struggles with not having a bottle of wine. Yeah, hand. but they knew they, me. They used a power drill once they to did. get through they did. a wine bottle. Yeah, didn't work out well because the wine bottle <laughs> broke and then they had to filter the wine through the broken glass. So please glass. join us next week. <laughs> For uh, episode five of season four, and next week I think we're going to talk about oh, multi generational families. Huh? Are we doing microaggressions? Microaggressions. Next? So we're doing microaggressions next week. All right. So microaggressions and race. Um, feel free to send us questions via email. Feel free to join us on TikTok, Stitch, 
Not Stitch? Thread. What is that? Are <laughs> yeah, oh, you guys on Thread now? <laughs> Not yet. We oh. will be. Um, we are going to be unveiling some merch next week. Ooh, ooh so maybe we'll wear some things. stay tuned for our merch shop. Well, we'd have to order them first. Hmm. Might take a minute to come in. Um... By the way, got my own three tree shirt. Look at you. There we go. But anyway, got some merch coming and um, basically just selling out. Cool beans. <laughs> Take care, everyone.